everyone. Welcome to Dig Deep. Today we are starting a brand new series called No Greater Love. And this whole series hinges on one Bible verse and one question. The verse is this. It's in John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's just 20 words. And for you, maybe they're familiar words. But here's the question that we're going to ask throughout this series. How has he loved us? When I was a kid, I learned a song. Maybe you learned it too. The lyrics read, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And when I was a kid, it was that simple. But the older I get and the more I experience of life and relationships and heartache and loss, I'm realizing that love is complicated and it's strange. It's mysterious and powerful and often counterintuitive. And Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And so we are going to ask, how has he loved us? And so what we're going to do in this series is each episode, we are going to look at a major event in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ and ask, how has he loved us? Because his love for us is complex and mysterious and at times counterintuitive, but ultimately his love is life-changing and life giving. So what better place to start than at the beginning? Jesus began his life and ministry here on earth, born as a baby. And this caught people off guard. Everything about his arrival was surprising. If you're not familiar with the Christmas story, God sent an angel to a young virgin named Mary, and the angel said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary is terrified by the angel's presence, but he says, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Mary takes a while to understand it, but eventually agrees and obeys and is grateful for this honor, this calling that she's been given. But her fiance, Joseph, is not so sure. And so God sends an angel to Joseph as well. And he says, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And so this young, inexperienced, engaged couple are given the responsibility of raising the Son of God. And so we pick up the story in Luke chapter 2, where Caesar Augustus, who is the ruler of the whole Roman Empire, issues a decree that a census should be taken. And so everybody has to go back to the hometown that they come from. And so Joseph, who was from Bethlehem, the town of David, had to take Mary to go register there and be a part of this census. And so we read in verse 4 of Luke chapter 2, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. 
And this is just a short little phrase that we can skip past. But if you've ever given birth, then you know this is a big deal. The time came for the baby to be born. And so I just want to give a quick helpful hint if there are any men listening. If you are ever around a pregnant woman, your wife, or a random stranger in the grocery store, if she says to you, it's time, you just do whatever the heck she tells you to do. Okay? That's it. That's your helpful hint for the day. When we were delivering our firstborn, we had been at the hospital laboring all throughout the night, and it was late the following morning when the doctor came in to check on me, and I thought, surely we have got to be close to the end. I'm in so much pain. I'm exhausted. This has got to be it. And she said, okay, you're definitely getting there. Walk around a little bit more, and I'll come back to check on you in an hour. And I thought, you have got to be kidding me. An hour? I thought we were there. I thought it was time. And she leaves the room, and I start walking around. And it was only 15 minutes later that I knew, wait, this is it. It is time. And so I told my husband, this is it, honey. It is time. Go run and get the doctor. And bless his heart, do you know what my husband said to me? He said, honey, the doctor said she'll be back in an hour. Oh, my sweet, sweet husband. I looked him in the eye. I may or may not have grabbed him by the throat, and I said, you go get that doctor. And sure enough, he went and got the doctor, and it was time to push, and shortly afterward, we got to meet our daughter. But that is the situation Mary finds herself in. The time had come for the baby to be born. And in verse 7, it says, She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And here's the thing. Because this is the Christmas story, I can fall into the bad habit of reading through this too quickly, kind of taking it for granted, maybe even hearing it narrated by the sweet little voice of Linus from the Peanuts gang. But it's good for us to slow down And imagine what everyone involved must have been feeling in this situation. We are trying a new Advent tradition with our kids this year, inspired by my friend Claire. This year, we're having our kids open a wrapped gift containing a part of the nativity set a couple times a week and then doing an activity and a little Bible study with our kids related to that element of the story. And this past Friday, we started this off by having our kids open up just the stable And then we spent the evening doing a walk to Bethlehem event that is put on by a local church in our area. And we got to experience a little of what it may have felt like to be there, to walk out in the darkness, in the cold, to be turned away by the innkeeper, to see the star and then ultimately find the family outside in a barn with real animals in the cold. And the kids absolutely loved it. And as we were walking along, I was trying to put myself in Mary's shoes. I mean, I imagine she must have been fighting off her nesting instincts hardcore. I mean, no woman wants to travel far from home that far along in her pregnancy. She and Joseph had traveled over 100 miles over the course of an 8 to 10 day journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And we always picture her riding on a donkey, but there's actually no record that they owned or rode a donkey on their trip. Most people walked. And honestly, knowing what it feels like to be nine months pregnant, I can't imagine walking 100 miles or riding a donkey for 100 miles. They both sound absolutely terrible to me. And can you imagine how she must have felt when she realized, this is it? When she looked at Joseph and said, it's time. 
I've had friends who've delivered their babies in the car on the way to the hospital or in their living rooms before they could even get to the car. And I imagine Mary felt a similar wave of fear or panic, thinking this is not how I planned it. But there's no turning back. It is time. The baby is coming here and now. And it's important for us to consider this because God chose this exact setting for the grand entrance of his son, our Savior. And this time of year, we all set up our beautiful little nativity sets and everyone looks so calm and so peaceful and there's no one screaming, there's no blood on the hay and the animals all look well-groomed and there's no animal feces anywhere near the manger. But in this holy event, God put a spotlight on a backwater town in the middle of the night and a poor family giving birth to their newborn in the barn out back. And we know that none of it was an accident. We see in just the next few verses that this was not random. It was not the wrong timing. It was exactly how God intended it to be. Because God sends angels to announce Jesus' birth and listen to the interaction. In verse 8, There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And then the angel says, This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. In verse 7, when Mary wrapped Jesus in cloths and placed him in the manger, she was doing what any new mother would do. She was taking her vulnerable, precious newborn, trying to keep him warm, and then placing him in the closest thing to a crib that she could find. And I doubt that she knew that her simple maternal actions would be announced by an angel of the Lord, radiating the glory of the Lord in the presence of the shepherds, and that they would say, this will be the sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This seemingly strange, random scene was not random at all. It was God's intention from the beginning, and the angel announces it with joy. He says, there's good news, and the good news is the God of the universe loves you so much that he's reaching out to you, and he could have done it any number of ways, but he chose from the beginning to send his son as a baby. And so we have to step back from this and ask, how then has he loved us? And what I want us to see today is that God has loved us with a vulnerable love. Now, I know that phrase might have caught some of you off guard. I know it caught me off guard a little bit at first. And so it's really important that we remember the true definition of vulnerability for our conversation today. See, I think we've gotten away from the real definition of vulnerability in the way that we talk about it today as it pertains to our relationships. We think of being vulnerable and we think of just sharing our feelings or spilling our guts. But the definition of vulnerability is the quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed, either physically or emotionally. To truly make yourself vulnerable in a relationship is to put yourself in a position where someone can hurt you. 
And so to help reshape our picture of vulnerability, I want to give you a picture from a scene from the movie Braveheart. I don't know if you've seen this movie. Hopefully you have. But the main character, William Wallace, has learned that his young wife did not escape into the forest as he thought she did, but that she'd been killed by the local British lord. And in the next scene, we see William Wallace riding his horse slowly into the Lord's fortress. He's completely defenseless. No sword, no shield. His arms are at his sides. His palms open up to the sky in surrender. And so a soldier timidly approaches him and grabs the reins of his horse. And then William Wallace looks down at him and suddenly, in slow motion, his face changes and he grabs the secret medieval nunchucks he has hidden and he messes the guy up. And then he proceeds to take the entire fortress out, choosing the most over-the-top, gruesome deaths possible for each one of his enemies. And we cheer and go, yeah, that's insane. Okay, vulnerability is that picture minus the secret nunchucks. And we think, well, that sounds absolutely terrible. But that is the type of love that Jesus puts on display when he came as a baby. The king of creation, the son of God, came to earth unarmed with his palms lifted toward the sky. There is nothing in creation more vulnerable than a newborn baby, fully dependent on others to keep you safe. And if coming to earth as a baby wasn't vulnerable enough, he chose to be born to a young, inexperienced woman who was far from home, giving birth in a stable. He was born under the reign of a dangerous king who ordered that all the boys under two be put to death. So his first most vulnerable years were lived as a refugee in Egypt. And I want to encourage you throughout this series, as we look at an element of God's love, consider the other places in scripture where Jesus demonstrated the type of love we're discussing. Other than his very vulnerable birth, how else did Jesus demonstrate vulnerable love? When he was arrested in the garden, he told Peter to put his sword away. As the prophet Isaiah foretold, he stood silent before his accusers, before the high priest, and then silent again before Pontius Pilate. And then he didn't defend himself when he was being tortured and ridiculed and ultimately killed. But Jesus does have a secret weapon. It just wasn't what anyone expected. He has the power to defeat sin and defeat death. And he did it by making himself vulnerable. He deliberately placed himself in a state of being exposed to attack and harm. Because after he died, he defeated death and rose from the grave because he loves you. And in John 13, 34, he said to his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And so I want to ask you, what would it look like for you to be vulnerable in your relationships with others? And I want to say again that first we need to get away from the idea that vulnerability is simply sharing your feelings. Vulnerability is not primarily about airing out your dirty laundry or spilling your guts. That certainly may be part of it at some point. But remember, vulnerability at its core, its true definition, is the quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harm. 
vulnerable love goes into a relationship unarmed, laying down not just your sword, but your shield too. And so what relationship is it in your life where you're living behind a shield or maybe your hand is on the hilt of your sword just in case? I'm guessing whatever relationship it is, you're operating out of a place of being hurt before. And so maybe it's your marriage and your heart has been broken. Maybe it's your relationship with a parent who's broken your trust. Maybe you're like so many people who have been burned by the church, and so you struggle to even step foot in one again, much less actually trust its leadership or get involved on a deeper level. Or maybe you learned early in your childhood that most people are simply not trustworthy, and so you struggle to be vulnerable with anyone. And so once a specific relationship has come to the surface for you, I want you to ask what type of sword or shield are you holding on to? Because we all have our favorite defense mechanism of choice. Have you ever had someone ask you a genuine question on a topic that put you a little on the defensive and so you responded with humor or sarcasm to deflect it? Have you intentionally steered a conversation towards small talk again and again? Or have you looked at your phone and made up an excuse to leave the conversation completely? Has someone ever said something horrible to your face and you just lashed right back at them with biting words or maybe even a physical expression of your anger? And have you shut someone completely out of your life? You two haven't spoken in, what, six months? Six years now? Vulnerability is choosing, even when it's painful, especially when it's painful, to lay those defenses down. Vulnerability is really letting someone in close enough that they could really hurt you if they wanted to. And listen, I know he doesn't deserve your love after what he did. I know she doesn't deserve your friendship after she broke your trust like that. I know he took so much from you. I know it hurts so bad that it almost doesn't even feel like you have any choice but to shut down and protect the last fragile pieces of your broken heart. But fight it. And I feel like I need to say here that if you're listening and either you or your children is in physical danger, please use wisdom and get boundaries in place to keep yourself and your family safe. It is possible to extend love and grace to someone from behind a boundary of safety. But for most of us, we are in relationships with someone who's caused us pain. And God is prompting us to be vulnerable with that person to open yourself up again. Choose to love with vulnerability. Choose to lay down your defenses. And this might look a lot of different ways. You may need to choose to stay instead of leave. Choose to keep the door open instead of closing it. Maybe you need to be the one to reach out for reconciliation. You need to choose to tell the truth, the whole truth, instead of hiding behind your painted picture of a false reality. You need to choose to say, I'm sorry, listen, you asked me a genuine question and I blew you off with sarcasm or a stupid joke, and I'm sorry, let's try that again. It's opening yourself up. Maybe it's opening yourself up to a church again, or a small group again, or a friendship again. 
We need to figure out what our favorite defenses are and then do the hard work of laying them down again and again. Because love that isn't vulnerable is no love at all. C.S. Lewis says it best in his book, The Four Loves, when he says that to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. My husband entered full-time ministry about nine years ago, and I was getting acclimated to our new church and starting to build friendships with some of the other women at the church when I heard a piece of advice that surprised me. It came from another pastor's wife, and she said, don't develop deep friendships with the other pastor's wives at your church or any women on staff. She said, you could be friendly, but develop your deep friendships with women at other churches or other pastor's wives in other cities. And I thought that second part was wise, you know, to build a support network outside of your local church community. And I'm grateful that I have always had that. But I didn't like the first part. Don't develop deep friendships with the other pastor's wives or women on the staff. That seemed crazy to me. So I ignored that completely. And over time, our lead pastor's wife became one of the most precious friends I've ever had. And I haven't talked about this too directly on the podcast, but our husbands worked together um, for seven years and their relationship started to deteriorate. And ultimately, and very suddenly, her husband let my husband go. And on so many levels... I felt like my heart had been ripped out of my chest. And one of the greatest areas of loss for me was the pain that now defined this very important friendship in my life. And it wasn't long after that that the words of that pastor's wife came back to mind. Don't develop deep friendships with the other pastor's wives at your church. And I thought, I get it now, and I will never let that happen to me again. I was determined to defend myself better in the future. But then I began to experience what C.S. Lewis just described. I felt my heart start to change, start to harden, and I didn't like what it was becoming. And see, that is the danger in refusing to be vulnerable. To love at all is to be vulnerable. And if you lock your heart down and just try to protect the last fragile pieces, your heart will change. You might experience less pain or loss, but your joy will start to fade too. My husband is now on staff at another wonderful church, and over the past several months, I have met so many amazing women, and I can feel myself holding back in relationships. I choose to keep my conversations light and on the surface. I had an interaction with a woman where we were practically finishing each other's sentences, and she's someone I know I want to get to know better, and I had the thought, I should ask her if she ever wants to grab coffee, but I didn't. 
I kept my mouth shut because it's easier that way. And I know that there are things in your past that are holding you back in the same way. But to love at all is to be vulnerable. Don't do it. Don't close the door on old relationships just because they have pain in them that needs to be worked through. Don't close the door on new relationships out of fear that they'll lead to pain. And I share my experiences with you, hopefully to communicate that I know this is difficult and that I have not figured this out myself. But how incredible is it that God loved us so much that he sent his son to demonstrate the ultimate vulnerability in relationships. He willfully placed himself in a position where he needed to be wrapped up by his mother and kept warm, where he cried when he was hungry or needed a diaper change. He needed to be bathed and carried and eventually taught to walk and to talk. He came to us in vulnerability, and then he calls us to love one another as he has loved us. So where are you putting up walls in relationships that God wants to break down? Where are you holding tightly to your sword or your shield? And God is saying, lay them down. Is there a chance you'll get hurt again? Yes. But it's vulnerable love that changes us. It's vulnerable love that sets us free. Because holding a sword and a shield in relationships is exhausting. And it will just suck life from you. To really love at all is to be vulnerable. So when you feel yourself picking up that same old sword or shield in a relationship, do the difficult work of laying it back down and go into your relationships unarmed. Guys, I am really excited about this series, and I am so grateful that you are joining me. And if you are struggling with this concept today and asking, well, wait, was Jesus's love always an unarmed, vulnerable love? The answer is no. And in the next episode, we're going to look at a time in Jesus's ministry where out of love, he looked around and asked himself, what can I make into a weapon right now? I think it's going to be a really fun episode where we'll see a different, beautiful facet of this incredible love that God has for us that he demonstrated to us through his son, Jesus. So I hope you'll come back and join me again next time. And until then, remember to dig deep.